Today, I'm excited to start sharing with you a new series. And it's a really important series for everybody here, no matter what gender you are, no matter what age you are. It's an important, important series. Now, if you're a guest at the bridge, understand this about our church. We like to teach what is practical. We like to teach what is applicable. We don't just teach you know, these theological concepts and these abstract things. We try to give our Bridge family members something to take home every week that will strengthen their life and cause them to have a better relationship with Christ. Today I'm gonna to start a short four-week series entitled, How to Make Dead-On Decisions. How to Make Dead-On Decisions. The Mirror, a newspaper in the UK, did a study and recently came to this conclusion that the average person will make 773,618 decisions during their lifetime. Some of them are big decisions, some of them are little decisions, but we know we're making decisions all the time, right? And they go on, we'll come to regret 143,262 of them. Now, I don't know how they establish these exact numbers, but my life experience bears witness with that study. That's about a fourth. So about a fourth of all the decisions we make will regret having made those decisions. Now, what's really important about decision-making and why we're gonna do this and why God would have us to do this together is this, that the consequences of bad choices can begin to take on a life of their own greatly, and I will say again, greatly limiting our future choices and opportunities. If we make a lot of bad decisions, those bad decisions accumulate and begin to take control of our life. They limit the choices that we can make and they limit the opportunities we can avail ourselves of. Let me just give you one example that many will be able to relate to because many of us have made this mistake at some point of our life. That's the, the mistake of credit cards, right? Boy, I remember when, when I was young, when Sal and I were married, there were like retail store credit cards. There weren't all these visas and MasterCards and all that kind of stuff. Boy, I remember when we got our first one, we thought we had arrived. I can buy stuff with this little plastic thing right here. I don't have to have cash. And boy, we got it, and then somebody said, hey, you're pretty good, we're gonna give you another one. And then somebody else said, you're pretty good with us, too. we're gonna give you another one. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? And pretty soon, you got two, three, four, five, six, seven credit cards all charged up to their max. And that takes over your life. You, you, you end up struggling trying to pay those credit cards off because of the exorbitant interest rates on them. And you can't avail yourself after. You can't go on vacations. You can't buy that thing you like because all your money is going to try to satisfy that debt. And it takes over you financially, takes over you physically, takes over you emotionally. And those decisions can accumulate. You know, we think of people who commit crimes and we think that, that there's just these horrible, degenerate people. Most of the time they're not. Most of the people are like you and me and they've made some bad choices. Or they make one colossal bad choice. So God doesn't want our lives to be complicated. He doesn't definitely want our lives to be characterized by, by destructive influences. And so we're going to, to take a look at this because it's important. Now, let me give you some myths first about 
dead on decisions. One myth is that you have to be unusually brilliant in order to make dead on decisions, great decisions. That only certain people, there's only a small percentage. You have to have this super IQ. You gotta be able to max out the SATs. That's not true at all, that's a myth. Another myth is there are hidden secrets to making great decisions. You know, some people, they found this, they found this, this formula, they found the secret that, that the vast majority of the population knows nothing about. It's a myth. Third, great decision makers make great decisions all the time. That's not true either, and that's why it's important to have a formula. That's, it's why it's important to have a strategy for making decisions. Because even if you make a lot of good, great decisions, you make one really bad one and you're gonna greatly complicate your life. Dr. Charles Foster, who is the director of the, uh, uh, of the Chest Hill Institute in Boston, Massachusetts, he's a, he, he's a clinician, he's a consultant, uh, he, he's a regular speaker at Harvard. Uh, in his book, What Do I Do Now? He says this, great decision makers care about making great decisions. He says, poor decision makers don't really care about making great decisions. There's no secret to it. He goes on to say this, what makes losers losers more than anything else is that they make decisions the way a cork in the ocean decide which way it's going to go. They are totally controlled by the haphazard forces around them. They make bad decisions because they really don't care about making decisions. Words he said, the, the reason so many people make bad decisions is because they don't have a formula. They don't have a strategy. They don't have a plan. They're just kind of going around life making decisions all the time, kind of like a cork floating in the ocean. They have no control over the consequences of those decisions. Now, we know that doesn't work, and we know that that's not what God would have for us. So that's why we're going to do this series. In our counseling as pastors, so often we're counseling people that find themselves in really, really troubling circumstances. And very frequently, we can trace it back to a series of decisions that have been made. They've been bad decisions. And they've brought to them this place where their life is really, really, really complicated and negative. So, want to help you, and we're going to take a scriptural journey because we're believers, right? And so we're going to take a godly approach to how to make dead-on decisions. Are you ready to learn? You ready to go? All right, let's learn together. For Christ's followers, the starting place of making dead-on decisions is God. That's where we start. Now, now let me say that again. That's where we what? Start, not end. Not go to God after everything's already a mess, although he'll welcome us at that point too. But if we really want to be dead on decision makers, we need to start with God. And we start with a conformity test. And the conformity test asks two questions. The first question is, what has God already said about the topic of the decision I need to make? And second of all, what is God saying now? That's the conformity test. And we start with God, and we start by taking God's conformity test. When considering a course of action, first ask yourself, 
What has God already said? What has God already revealed about this? Am I conforming to God's revealed will? You know, God has already revealed his opinion and he's given us instruction on pretty much every topic of life. David said this in Psalm 119, 105. Your word, we would call it the Bible, your Bible is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. In other words, David says, everything I need to know to navigate life successfully and to prepare for the life to come, you have already lined out in your word. It'll light my path. It'll guide my my path. It'll show me where to go. It'll help me to make better decisions in life. And it's true. So right off the bat, when we're confronted with a choice, we need to ask ourselves, what has God already revealed in the Bible about this? Now, let me show you one example here, because we don't have time for me to show you a bunch of examples. Let me show you one example where people violate this principle of seeking what God has said about it with disastrous consequences, and they do it all the time. And we're talking about believers that do this. In 2 Corinthians 6, verses 14 and 15, Paul is inspired by the Holy Spirit. God gives him this message through the Holy Spirit to us. He says, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? Belial is another name for the devil. What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? So right off the bat, God says, listen, when you're thinking about your relationships, here is a divine edict. Do not get unequally yoked with unbelievers. And believers violate it all the time. Now, the first thing that comes to our mind, usually when we look at this passage, is, is spousal relationships, marriage relationships. And God says, listen, if you're a believer, do not marry an unbeliever. It says, if you're a believer, don't date an unbeliever. Because your worlds are too different. And yet, what do we do? Oh, God, thanks for that suggestion. <laughs> Thank you, God. It's kind of you to make that suggestion. But you don't understand. You, you don't understand. He has so much potential. (laughs) She is amazing, God. I know she's not a believer, but I'm going to make her a believer. I cannot tell you. Pastor Bob, Pastor Evans, Pastor Rusty, me, all of us, we could sit down and tell you story after story after story of people who have violated this with severe consequences in their lives. Some of you have, and you know what I'm talking about. But it's not only that. I can tell you time and time again when I've sat with with both men and women who were entrepreneurs, and their life was, was, was in chaos because they had gone into business with an unbeliever. 
And boy, in the beginning, they were excited about the money they could make. But when they got into actual business practice, the unbeliever was willing to take unethical courses of action, and they were willing to cut corners. And the believer said, no, we're going to have a, a business that is characterized by integrity and, and doing things right. And they clash, and pretty soon, there's such a clash that the business itself is faltering because of the chaos between the partners. You can just take it down just a simpler level than that, Friends. Now, Scripture nowhere says that we should not befriend, we should not reach out to unbelievers. But listen, you don't need to make that the core of your social life. When we trust Christ, sometimes we've got to change the friends that we run with. Because they're not in the same place we are. And we say, oh, but I'm going to get them there. I'm going to change them like God's changed me. Well, can I be honest with you? Can I, can I be very candid with you? In, in over 40 years of ministry and counseling people, the greater percentage goes with the unbeliever crowd dragging the believer down than goes with the believer lifting up the unbelievers. See, because we violate God's principles, and when we violate God's principles, consequences come with that. This is just one area. One example of many. So we need to start, what has God said? When I need to make a decision, and the more important that decision is, and the more potentially consequential that decision is, I need to say, what has God already said about this? Because he's probably said something about it already. What has he said? Now, I know some of you are saying right now, you're thinking right now, I don't know how to search the Bible for God's will. I mean, the Bible, me? I can't even tell you what the first book of the Bible is, let alone search the Bible for what God has said about anything. Now, I know that's true, and probably the younger believer you are, the more that's true. But let me tell you something. Here's the good news. We have never lived, man has never had a, a, a time in history when understanding and being able to ascertain what God has said about things is easier than it is today. We have tools that other generations couldn't even dream of. Most of you love to, the computer and you love to be online. Well, did you know there's some amazing online Bible software study programs that you can get that have topical searches on them? You can put in marriage, and it'll tell you everything the Bible says about marriage. You can put in sex, it'll tell you everything the Bible says about sex. You can put in money, it'll tell you everything the Bible says about money. You just put them in. And there's a bunch of them. I'm just listing a couple of them here. eSword, that's for Windows users. It's free. You can download it for free and use it. There's MacSword. For those of you who are Mac users, you can, do, you can get it that way. There's Accordance. That's for Macs. You can get that for about 60 bucks a starter program. Logos, that is like the Cadillac of the Bible search programs. And, but you can get their basic patch for free. You can download it for free, and it'll have a Bible, and it'll have a search engine on it. I use word search. That's the one I use. You can get that at a starting price for like around $40. Now, you can add on to the library, and you can build that program so it does more and more and more. But if you're just getting started, that's all you need is you need an online Bible, and you need a search, a topical search button where you can type in the topic, and it'll bring up everything the Bible has to say about that. Now, how easy is that, huh? How easy is that? Now, some of you are saying, I just don't do computers, I'm not a computer person. Now, if that's you, then there is printed editions of this. There's the Nave Topical Bible. 
It's a topical Bible, and it lists all kinds of topics, and you look up whatever topic you want, and it'll list under it all the verses in the Bible that, that are relevant to that topic. The other one's a little dark, you can't see it, but it's called the MacArthur Topical Bible. It's another topical Bible. You can research anything you want to know. Pretty much anything is there, and it'll give you verses that you can see what God has already said about that topic. How easy is that, huh? But that's where we start. The second part of the conformity test asks the question, but what is God saying now? What's he saying now in my particular situation? What is he saying? And that step involves conforming to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Now, I taught a lot about the Holy Spirit last week, so I'm not going to give a lot about it. But I do want to review a passage that we looked at last week because it's important understanding what we're talking about right now. In Acts, fifth book of the New Testament, Luke is writing about Paul and his companions, Acts 16, verse 6 through 10. He says, Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to do it. So they passed Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man in Macedonia standing and begging him, come to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave from Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Now, now let's think about this. Paul and his companions wanted to go to Asia and preach the gospel. Now, is that within the revealed will of God? Of course. God said, take the gospel into all the world. Go preach it everywhere. The last words of Jesus before he ascended back up into heaven was, you shall be my witnesses. And you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. So if they were trying to make a decision on where to go preach the gospel, they could go anywhere, but not at that moment. They said, we'll go to Asia. And God said, no, you're not going to go to Asia. Well, we'll go to Bithynia. No, you're not going to go to Bithynia. Now, going either place, they wouldn't have been out of the revealed will of God, but God had a specific place he wanted them to go at this time, and that was Macedonia. Why? Probably because God knew the hearts of the Macedonians were open to the gospel, where the hearts of the Asians and the hearts of the Bithynians probably weren't. So he gave them this added guidance through the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 3.16, remember, says, Don't you know that you yourselves are the temple of God, that God's Spirit lives in you? That same Spirit that directed Paul and his companions is in everyone who has trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior. We saw that last week. We also saw in John 16, 13, that Jesus said, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you in all truth. Do you think that means decision-making? Absolutely. He will guide you. He is there to be God's voice to you of which direction you should go. So am I conforming to that presence of the Holy Spirit, to what the Holy Spirit is saying? When I'm going to make a decision? I should go to God, and I should go to the Holy Spirit and say, Holy Spirit, God, is it your will that I do this? Now, it might be within his revealed will, but it might not be within his specific will at that moment. 
Is it within your will that I don't do this? See, we need to go to the Holy Spirit and then ask him to do that. Now, let me caution you. Of all the things I'm giving you today, this is the area that is the most subjective because it depends on how you feel and how you sense God moving. And can our feelings betray us sometimes? Sure they can, so you gotta be careful. So you've gotta balance it with prayer. You, you don't just do it walking around and say, well, you're here at the car dealership, you know? You know, you gotta give God some time. You gotta go and talk about him. Reading your Bible, God will, remember we saw already that, that God will talk to us, the Holy Spirit will talk to us as we read his word. And we're, first of all, we're searching what God has already said about what we're gonna do. And if you really sometimes have a very important decision to make, you might even want to fast while you're praying and reading the Bible. What is fasting? It's, it's doing it without, without food. It's just drinking water. Sometimes in a fast, you just drink juice. And I, I'm going to be honest with you. As a believer of many, many, many years and as a pastor, I've only used this a few times in my life to make critical decisions. But I will tell you this. Every time that I have used it, God has spoken very clearly and demonstratively to me. And it's just how it works. First Corinthians says, for who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within? See, the Holy Spirit who lives in us knows us better than we know ourselves. And the Holy Spirit knows when we're about to enter into stinking thinking. When we're trying to rationalize a decision. And the Holy Spirit will get there and say, knock, knock, knock. No. Be careful, warning, danger, danger, danger. So am I conforming the Holy Spirit? What is God saying right now? And we need to listen to what he says. That's the key. Am I conforming to godly counsel? That's the third principle of the conformity test. Proverbs eleven fourteen says, For lack of guidance, a nation falls, but victory is won through many advisors. In other words, for lack of knowledge, for lack of guidance, whole nations can fall. We can prove that historically. It says, but where there's a multitude of counselors, there's wisdom, there's safety, there's guidance, there's victory. See, we talked about that. One of the things that we need to have in our life to resist our dark side is accountability. We need to have accountability partners. And we need that in making decisions too. Am I conforming to godly counsel? What are godly people telling me about what I should do? Now, you've got to choose your, guard, your, your counselors very, very carefully. We've talked about that. You've got to choose them carefully. One of the characteristics is they need to be honest people. Now, not just honest in their character, but they need to be people who will be honest with you because that's really important. I love Proverbs 27, 6 says this, wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies his kisses. I love that passage. It's so, it's so visual to me. The wounds of a friend can be trusted. What does that mean? That means I go to a friend, I'm sharing what I'm thinking, and I'm sharing my decision thing, and that friend says, if you do that, you're an idiot. And that hurts, because that's not what we wanted our friend to say. We wanted our friend to say, oh man, um, that's a great decision. I think that's a great plan. But if you're looking for godly counsel, you need people in your life who will be honest, and when they see you're about to make a mistake and you're going in the wrong direction, 
They're not going to go kiss, kiss, kiss. Oh, you're wonderful, and I know you'll make a good choice and all that. They say, hey, are you nuts? You know, they'll stop you. See, an enemy multiplies kisses. They tell us what we want to hear. They pat us on the back. Oh, you, you're just so smart. I know you'll make the right choice. Oh, yeah. They need to be spiritually mature. They need to have spiritual maturity. We're, we're trying to bring God into this, right? So we need to have God people in this. Does this person know the word of God? This might be the person that God uses to reveal to you what he's already said about the topic that you're making a decision on because they know the Bible better than you do. Do they know the word of God? Does this person live what he or she proclaims to believe? Are they just a Sunday Christian or do they live out the same values at work, in home, wherever they are? Does this person think spiritually? Do you see that process in them frequently? Do you see them? Do you hear them talking about spiritual things? Do you see them making personal spiritual applications to the way they're conducting their life? 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to them, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. You do not want, as a counselor, someone who's not a believer. Now, they might be an honest person. They might be a person who'll say, hey, listen, I think you're making a bad choice here. They may have some of the other characteristics, but they are not spiritually discerning because they don't have the spirit. And the only reason we're spiritually discerning is not because we're smarter than them, it's because we have the spirit in us because of our relationship with Jesus Christ. Does this person pray? The kind of person say, hey, I don't know, but let's pray about this together. Come on, let's get on our knees and pray about it, knowing that God speaks through prayer. Does this person have a history of making godly decisions in his or her life? If their life's a train wreck, even if they're a believer, that's probably not the person you want on your team. You know, you want to see somebody who has stability in their life, somebody who has a history of making sound decisions, of making dead-on decisions so that they can help you through the process. Am I conforming to godly counsel? And then finally, am I conforming to God's provision? Am I conforming to, to what he's providing for me? Write that little phrase down. Where God guides, God provides. Where God guides, God provides. Psalm 127.1 says, Unless the Lord builds a house, its builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stand guard in vain. In other words, without God's involvement, most things are an exercise in futility. Jesus said in Luke 14.28, Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? Now that would say, duh, yeah, but we don't, we violate that scriptural principle all the time. Every time we go to the car dealer, we violate that principle so often. Well, you know, for just $100 more, you could have this, you know? Let me give you a couple guidelines. Number one, God's provision will never give me a hernia. I mean, we, we put such burdens on ourselves in not only making our decisions, but after we've made our decisions. 
And if what we're doing, deciding is going to put a burden on us, a burden on our life, it's going to make our life harder, that's a cue from God that he's not in it. God's provisions will never endanger me nor my family members. God's not going to guide us to put ourselves in risk. And God's not going to guide us to put our families in risk. Where God guides, God what? Provides. Now, we've got to be smart enough to understand when he's closing a door. What do we do? So often, God will close a door, and we want to kick it in. Sometimes God slams a door, and we go get a battering ram and just start beating on the door. We're not listening Along the way, God is throwing up warning signs. God is throwing up obstacles. God is throwing all these things in the path of this decision we're trying to rationalize and make. And we ignore the signs. We ignore. He is not providing. And we kick the doors down anyhow. I don't know about you, but every time I've done it, have I done it? Oh, sure, I've done it. It's not turned out pretty. Jesus says in Matthew eleven thirty, 30, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Here's Jesus. He says, listen, I want to lead you down the path of least resistance. I want to lead you down a path that won't compromise your life and your character and your well-being. My yoke is easy. You hook up with me and life's going to go a lot easier, Jesus says. You follow what I have already revealed. You follow what the Holy Spirit is saying at the time. You follow godly counsel. You follow provision and not kicking the doors. And he says, my burden's light. You're not going to be carrying all that stress. You're not going to be carrying all that regret. You're not going to be carrying all that relational destruction. You're not going to be compromising yourself at work. He says, my burden is is light. So when we're going to make decisions, the starting place is always going to God. And again, that's where we start. Now, God will still be there if we ignore all this and we go to him at the end of the process when we're already in a train wreck. But when that happens, we can't expect God just to wave fairy dust over us and take us out of the situation. Now, he'll help us chart a course out of it, but it's going to be a lot more painful than it would have been if we would have listened on the front end. So that's where it starts. Am I conforming to what God has already said about this? Am I conforming to the voice of the Holy Spirit? Am I conforming to godly counsel? Am I conforming to what God is providing? That's the start, the jump-off point on how to make dead-on decisions. Now, we're going to elaborate on this over the next three weeks. We're going to talk about the don'ts of dead-on decisions. And then we'll talk about the do's of dead-on decisions. And by the end, if you listen and if you apply, your decision-making process is going to be so much better And the decisions you make will be so much less likely to complicate your life and so much more prevalent to 
embrace and, and to encourage you and, and to guide your path. Let's power heads. I, I know the message has already reached out to some today because they've told me. And I know some here are the same thing. Some of you right now are at another junction in your life where you've got to make some, some decision or some decisions. Well, here's the place to start. Here's the place to start. And we'll help you. We'll give you more. Don't rush this decision. Remember, where God guides, God provides. You say, oh, I, I have to get this car deal this afternoon or they won't offer it to me. God's got the car that you need and no one's going to have it but you. Where God guides, God provides. God, I thank you that that's true. And God, I thank you that you are with us in our decision-making. And we might have never considered that. But Lord, if we really apply these biblical principles, Jesus, your words are going to be true in our life. Your yoke will be light and your burden will be easy. God, help us to do that. Now, for those who have made some, some, some bad decisions, Lord, that's not the end. You're there too, and you'll help them come out of it. But Lord, we're, we're praying right now for those who are either in the makings or will soon be making consequential decisions. Lord, I just pray that you'll bless them in this process. In Jesus' name, amen.